When Paul Gate was 70, he retired, without heartbreak, from the post he had held for more than 50 years, 54, in an obscure private school, living on with the obstinacy of an old, half-rotted tree, in an equally obscure little town on the northeast coast, Danzaker. A handful of his ex-pupils, men little, if at all, younger than he was, decided to stage a celebration. He came to the school when he was 16, in 1902, as what used to be called a pupil teacher. In those days, it was Dr. Liggett's School for Gentlemen's Sons. The title could be, and was, stretched to cover the nakedness of sons of tradesmen willing to pay the fees. Paul Gate paid no fees. There was nobody to pay them. He was illegitimate, and his mother had abandoned him, a charity brat whose precocious cleverness at his board school came to be talked of. When the talk reached Liggett's ears, the shrewd, ungenerous man he was made a half-generous gesture. Young Gate was to teach the lowest class and, at the same time, study for the examination allowing him to enter a training college and become a certified teacher with a degree. This sensible plan did not work out for the simple and strange reason that a boy who had been born a brilliant mathematician could not pass examinations. He had only to walk into the hall where the examination was being held and sit down at his desk for every faculty to be seized by paralysis. He could not form an idea. He could not control his pen. He could barely see. Sweat broke through his skin and the print on the paper under his eyes ran into an illegible blur. At his second try, he fainted. After this humiliating incident, spoken of in the town as Gates' silliness, it was recognized that something, heaven but nobody else knew what, would always prevent him from trying again. He stayed on at the school. Since he could not be made a reputable member of the staff, Liggett called him my supervisor. He did anything, from keeping the accounts and ordering supplies to teaching. He was paid atrociously. For nearly a quarter of a century, his yearly salary was fifty pounds and his keep. Later, when the school, which had been a day school, began to take boarders, his attic was needed, and he was sent to live out and keep himself, and his salary became a grudged one hundred and fifty. Later still, during the Second War, when prices soared crazily, it was raised again, for the last time, to two hundred. It never occurred to him to protest. Not that he was a fool. He knew he was being exploited, but he was attached to old Liggett. Brought up in the iciest charity, he had in him an untapped well of tenderness and few chances to use it. Unnoticed by Liggett, almost unknown even to himself, A nerve of his being had twisted itself round that hard stick of a man. There was another reason. The memory, buried, of his humiliating failure. He could not face the thought of a new effort or a change. On the whole, he was content. Why not? He had a roof of sorts, food of the poorest sort, and every hour of every night for reading. He read apart from mathematical treatises and philosophy, poetry, books of travel, memoirs, history, and the Bible, and became widely and curiously learned.
Old Liggett died in 1925, and his son hurriedly transformed the school into the only form in which it and its almost innocent snobbery could survive, as a preparatory school for the very young. In the simple days when a skinny white-faced gate rang at its door for the first time, shaking with his fears, it had kept its boys until, at sixteen or seventeen, their education was to be complete. A few, perhaps one every two years, uncommonly ambitious or with uncommon parents, went on to a university. On these few exotic creatures, Gates used all his genius. It was nothing less. As a teacher, one of them became famous.